On this episode of Stories Behind the Grind, listen to my conversation with Eleanor Carey, a two-times world record holder, having rode over 5,000 kilometres across the Pacific Ocean and cycled over 3,000 kilometres across England. We discuss overcoming other people's expectations and judgement, what to look for in a support network, how to keep going when you're physically depleted, and lessons learnt from running her own startup hub. My name is Aidan Vokolo, and here you will find business strategies, tips, and tactics that you can incorporate not only in your own venture, but your life to help you simplify and strategically grow, scaling up the impact you're having in this world. Listen as I talk to creators, innovators, and game changers on what it takes to build an impactful business, uncovering their insights, strategies, and tips to help you increase profitability and develop a thriving team culture. Welcome to the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. Eleanor, thanks so much for coming on the Stories Behind the Grind podcast. It's great to have you on. Thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's awesome to be here. Eleanor, you've been on a transformational journey. You've left your nine to five and you've become a a two times world record setting adventurer and entrepreneur. You've rode 5,000 kilometers across the Pacific Ocean and completed a solo 3,000 kilometer unsupported ride across Europe. Tell me, what did you learn about resilience in preparing for and completing these two epic adventures? Wow. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think a lot of the resilience, I definitely wouldn't have said that I possessed it at the very beginning. It was something that it just developed with time, I think. And I remember for the very first cycle journey, I flew into Norway, there was snow everywhere, and I genuinely had no idea what I was doing whatsoever. I rebuilt my bike under a staircase in the airport. I thought it was going to take me two hours. I think it took me six hours. And then I was cycling down the road and I realized I'd put the front wheel on back to front. And so definitely for the cycle journey, for the row, for for both of them, you just constantly hit with barriers that you you never foresee them coming. And I just don't think you're actually able to prepare for all of them ahead of time. So it's just putting yourself in a situation and just backing yourself that you're going to be able to somehow figure it out in the moment when it arrives. And sometimes you figure it out quickly and sometimes you figure it out slowly and you know, you swear and curse along the way, but eventually you always figure, figure your way out of it. So slowly the resilience builds up. Where did that mindset come from? The fact that you will just, you know, figure it out. Is that something that was common earlier growing up that you had, or is that something you've developed over time before these two, you know, really crazy sort of epic adventures? Yeah, look, I think it was a little bit of a combination of both. So both of my parents were school teachers. So I remember when I was little, they were always sort of had a strong view of me, of trying to get me to figure things out for myself, I think. So they definitely did a good job of, of imparting that. But then I think it was the maybe the more risk-taking behavior. That was something that was learned. I definitely was never a risk-taking child or a risk-taking teenager. And so then the ability to put myself in these situations also came from, it was reading books and watching documentaries and reading blog posts from these other adventurers that they they were just spreading the same message. They were saying, hey, you're never, ever going to know how to do this stuff until you get out there and doing it and just do it. So I eventually just decided to give it a whirl and find out how it went. But yeah, if it wasn't for all of their their writings and you know their documentaries and everything else, I definitely wouldn't have gone on to do some of the things that I've done. Was there a key influential figure or a key documentary that really sort of sat with you that you referred back to again and again? Yeah, the original one, the one that started it all, it was a book called Cycling Home from Siberia. And so I just, it was 2013. I just moved to England. I was a physiotherapist at the time. It was Christmas. It was cold. So actually on Christmas Day, and I didn't know anybody, so I was sitting there, and I was just churning my way through this book, Cycling Home from Siberia, and I'd never read anything like it before. 
So these two English guys, and just as it sounds, they were cycling back to England all the way from Siberia through these minus temperatures. And, you know, they've got these like snot icicles hanging off their faces. And if you sweat too much, then the, then you end up getting a frozen layer of sweat in between your skin and your clothes. And it was just this insane environment that they were in. And I remember churning my way through this entire book on Christmas Day in England. And I got to the end of it and I just thought, I didn't know you were allowed to do that. Who said that you're allowed to go and do that? And I felt like there was this, almost like as if there was an invisible door which was next to me and it had been next to me for my whole life, but I just couldn't see it until I read that book. So it was quite literally like a whole world had, had appeared in the space of a day. It was absolutely phenomenal. That's incredible. I mean, you often hear the cliche term that you know books are often portals to another world, but it's incredible to see not only is it a portal to another world, but it's a it's a portal into your own world and to see what's possible and, you know, what, what can be done. Yeah, absolutely. And if it wasn't for them doing that and, you know, I think it arrived at the right time and then there were certainly other resources, like there's a couple of other documentaries which have been really pivotal. So there's another one, it's called Losing Sight of Shore. I believe it's, I watched it on Netflix at the beginning of last year. I think it's still on there. And it was about four British women. They rowed the whole way across the Pacific Ocean. And that was another situation that made me take action immediately afterwards. And I jumped on and I found crews that were, you know, about to row oceans. And I emailed them straight away right after the credits rolled. And so, yeah, that was another situation. There was, there was the book and then there was this documentary that really kicked me into gear and into action and, and helped instill a belief in myself that maybe I could give these things a go. For sure. You mentioned before that your parents were school teachers. What was growing up like for you? Yeah, growing up. Yeah. So I guess having two school teacher parents, like I grew up and I was a very well-behaved child. I grew up in a small country town, Stanford, which is just outside of a couple of hours outside of Brisbane. And so when you're in a small country town, a lot of the people in the same professions, they socialize with each other. So I think also sort of socializing with some of the teachers as well. I was pretty petrified of misbehaving in class. So I just never really, I never really did it. I was pretty easy to keep in line was kind of just, you know, friends with most people. I wasn't particularly sporty, but I'd give it a go. And then apart from that, I've always loved learning. I've always adored the process of, of learning something new and, and immersing myself in it. So, so yeah, school, it was, a pretty, it was a pretty easy. For me, it was a good fit. I was, I was lucky, I think, in that way. How do you learn best? And how do you recommend others? Because obviously, there's, there's different ways that people learn. Yeah, definitely. What, what works for you? I think for me... Oh, that's a good question. I think for me, I'm definitely a big, uh, I'm a visual learner, but then a kinesthetic learner as well. So I think I like to see something sort of be demonstrated and then I like to go out there and do it. And I think that really has, um, I guess it's been evident maybe in the way that I've taken on these adventures as well. You know, I read the book and then I went and did the cycling myself across Europe. I watched the documentary, saw partially how it was done and then went and rode across the ocean myself. So yeah, it's just having having maybe an external source to instill an, an idea or instill some amount of the process. And then I think I like to go and get my hands dirty and, and figure the rest of it out myself if it's possible. Yeah, it's a good combination. Do you ever visualize internally before you're starting something or when you're approaching a task? Or is it more just that external visualization that then gives you the seed, the idea that you then sort of take hold and then action that through what you do on a daily basis or what you do when you're undertaking these these activities? Yeah, I think it's, for me, I'm constantly looking to the future. Uh, so I'm always looking at, you know, what do I want to have, have achieved this week, this month, this year? And I guess the something that I... I guess something that I tried to do at a regular period of time was, and it may sound a little bit morbid, but it's if I, if I die today, 
am I happier than if I would have died, say, this time a year ago, for example? And if that answer is yes, then I know that I'm in the right direction. That's adapted from Steve Jobs did a, a talk at Stanford Address and he spoke about that he woke up every day and, and every single day he would look in the mirror and ask himself if he was going to die today, would he still do what he was about to do? So for me, that time frame maybe didn't feel exactly right. It just felt too short to be effective. So then I've adapted that to be, to, to be for the year. In terms of visualizing, I think the ultimate outcome for some of these things, say for the Rowan, for the cycle, I knew that there were so many variables for how they could turn out. I was never super fixed on exactly how the outcome would be because I think it would have been too difficult maybe emotionally if it didn't work out in that way. But yeah, absolutely on a day-to-day basis, I'd, I'd visualize the, the goals and make sure I had a really good grip on the things that I had to execute on for that particular day or that particular week and constantly try and revise it. So yeah, a bit of a mixture again. Mm. I like how you look back you know, a year ago and you have that you know, reflection or, or process that you go through to understand, you know, well. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's other variations of that that people, you know, I think for some people that if they're not super comfortable using the the idea of death as a motivator, which is definitely under, understandable depending, you know, what's happening in people's lives and, you know, other great variations on that that I sometimes think of, a, you know, yeah, if you're 19, you're in the in the nursing home and I used to work in nursing homes as a physio and I used to speak to a lot of people that they had really significant regrets about the way that they lived their lives. So I think that's sort of been instilled in me as well, just going, I don't want to be that person when I'm 90 and, and in the nursing home and and have all these regrets about all the things that I didn't do. So that's certainly something that I've sort of carried over from my previous career as a health professional. What are some common regrets that you heard? Yeah, so it always seemed to be like the biggest commonality. It was always things that people hadn't done. They never seemed to regret things that, that they had done. It was always a possibility of if they'd chosen a different path or where they'd sort of gotten to a, a fork in the road and they just and they felt like they'd made the wrong decision or they maybe chose. There's often regret around having made an, an easier choice. So a situation it was often whether whether to, you know, about sort of staying in relationships or going and pursuing difficult careers or difficult jobs. Uh, so it often seemed to be the perception of a, of a fork in the road and having chosen the easier option and always wondering what that other path would have held. And who knows, it may have been better and it easily may have been worse as well. I guess that's the beauty of being human. We never know what the other path would have held. Mm-hmm. And often we spend so much time trying to pick what, what path will be the right one to take when we're not going to know what the um, what the other path will be anyway. Definitely, yeah. So we can, you know, lament over those things a lot. What are some of the sort of the big societal misconceptions that you've had to overcome in order to take on the adventures that you have. Obviously, society grooms you, in, I guess, in such a way to, to follow the set path, you know, to, to go to university, to do the nine to five and, and to stay in that job, you know, for the next 40 to 50 years. How have you managed to overcome, you know, such a big societal force? Yeah, I think it's definitely been a process of, you know, maybe undoing some of those harmful learnings over time. But I, I do remember specifically being really surprised. So when I decided to go and cycle across Europe, so it was absolutely the first time in my life that I'd maybe wildly veered from the, from the path that I guess people externally perceived that I should have been on. So I was working as a physio in England and then all of a sudden I've decided to get on a one-way flight over to Norway and try and cycle my way back again. And I remember being shocked at how shocked the other people were, like my, you know, other people around me. And the weird things that they would throw out, so commonly it would be, oh, you, you know, you're going to get killed, you're going to get murdered. And this wild perception that these, you know, axe-wielding murderers would be walking around 
you know, a, a quiet country road in the middle of Norway in the middle of the day when you're cycling. You know, I could have understood if I was going to go and pick fights with gang members in the middle of like busy, I don't know, and dangerous city, for example. But the the perception of risk from people, I thought was really, uh, was just really out of whack. And to me, you know, if you, if you drive a car on a motorway, that's, you know, it's statistically, I think one of the riskiest things you can do that yet, if you're going to go on a long bike ride, all of a sudden, people are yelling at you about how risky it is. People also yelled at me about how risky the uh, road journey was as well. But I think that was a little more legitimate, because it was, um, was fairly risky. But yeah, it was just fighting against people's they were very easy, I think, to to put their opinions onto you and, and what they thought. And I do actually think that's because when, when you make extraordinary decisions or, or decisions which are a little out of the realm of the ordinary, you end up questioning other people's paradigms of their existence. And often they don't really like it when you do that. So sometimes it's not really about you. It's actually all about them. So those things have been interesting to observe over a course of time. Yeah, where do you think those are? Those perceptions come from? Is it just a, a deep need from others to, you know, try to control other people's activities to make them feel safe of where they are? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's part of it because then if no one else is is outside of the ordinary in their realm, then there's no reason for them to go and and seek that out. And as to where it comes from, you know, I remember I definitely had a perception that, that needed to be undone from when I was at school that, you know, yeah, that you had to be this like a big, fit, burly guy if you were going to go on any kind of adventure. And we really have this this hero view of, of sports stars, I think, in Australia, which is great and it's all well and good, but there are also many other ways in which we can be physical and go out and do and go and do things like this, you know, without being a, a rugby star, for example. And so I never identified maybe with having that particular body type or that particular strength level or fitness level. So I never thought that I could go and do something particularly physical. But it turns out, you know, if you can move your arms and legs and you're willing to give it a go, you actually can go and participate in extremely physical pursuits if that's something that you want to do. So that was certainly something that was difficult to overcome from, you know, yeah, that was maybe learned from when I was little. That's a really wide societal, uh, you know, conception or misconception. Yeah, it's incredible how adaptable the human body is and, you know, how far you can actually push it. You know, yeah, that's right. And until you find out, mm-hmm. <laughs> then, yeah, it's, it's one of those funny things. But, yeah, I think it's definitely worth going out and, and trying to find at least what it's capable. I think I'm certainly still trying to find my body's breaking point. And I don't know. Maybe I hope to find it and maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because often, often you can push your body a lot further than what you think you can. And yeah, you, you never really know the extent of how far you can push it before, until you actually do it. Until you actually get exactly, you got to get out there and just give it a go. I think absolutely. Now, if we had to bring this all back to back to running a business, parallels or similarities do you see between the long adventures you've been on and and running a business? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think yeah, there are loads actually. So I think anyone or you know if you if you've started a business before and you know particularly that that first that very first time that you go through the process, you know I think we all go in and you have one idea of what you think it's going to be like and. And I think you know going in that it's going to be challenging, but then inevitably, once you actually get into the journey and it starts throwing its challenges at you and the curveballs and you know the, and the journey, I think both in business and for these kinds of adventures, it always ends up being wildly more difficult than you ever think it's going to be. And they're both the kinds of things where perhaps if you knew how hard it was going to be, then maybe you would never start at all. 
which is why I think it's it's actually a good thing that we don't know at the beginning just how hard it's going to be. But yeah, just the the adaptability, the difficulty you need to form really strong relationships. I think to get you through it and, and have good community. It's, it's just across all the levels. I think. Yeah, often often you think it's going to be a linear path. Here you are, and here's where you want to go, and it's you know ten step process to to have a successful business. And then when you start, you realize that step one actually has a hundred steps to it. Exactly. Yeah. That's already embedded within it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, if we knew, we'd probably never begin. But I think that's the beauty. I think if you knew everything, you know, life wouldn't have much meaning at all. It'd be quite bland and boring, to be honest. So it's. And I think that's another parallel between business and adventure. You have to. You have to be a bit of a glutton for punishment, I think, and you have to. You have to, I think, love at least somewhat being in those challenging environments. And because I think if you can't sort of cope with that, or you don't at least somewhat enjoy that, then it's going to be a difficult world to exist in for any any extended period of time. What's your thoughts on the current state of you know being an entrepreneur? Obviously, it's I guess when I think about it, it's something that's it's almost like being a, a rock star or a superstar these days to you know to call yourself an entrepreneur. Yeah, like, you know, when you've got people like Gary Vee and, and different things like that that uh, gives it some kind of glory in a way. I think on one hand, it's amazing to, to glorify entrepreneurs and the more people that we can get interested in it, then the, then the better. But I think it's also somewhat misdirected as well in terms of, yeah, maybe it's it's a very romanticized view of what entrepreneurship is. So I think it's there's two very distinct sides of the coin. Yeah, for sure. Depending on what, what perspective you come from. You actually had a startup hub in Bundaberg for a little while. Tell me more a bit more about that. When I decided that I didn't want to be a physiotherapist anymore, I went and spent a month in a startup hub that was over in Bali. Actually, I was working on a few other business ideas, trying to figure out what I was going to do, where I was going to go. And then the thing... And so I was, sort of, I was doing a couple of contracts in Bundaberg at the time. And so then when I went back there to, to Bundy, I just realized... There's no hub of people here for me like there was in in Bali. And I craved that supportive environment to be able to go into and to be able to have a bunch of people that I could throw ideas around with that supported me and that understood and that they would help give you the tools and the processes to be able to filter and process those kinds of things. So it was really just getting back to Bundy and then missing that environment and going and, you know, having a look around and trying to figure out okay, well, well where, where are these people here? Where can I go to find them? And I realized that there wasn't anywhere that was, you know, like what I was searching for. So I decided to go and build it. Yeah, it was, again, it was a journey that turned out to be very different than what I thought. Really, I was so completely underqualified to even start out on that journey. But I guess that's the thing when you're naive, you're just ready to, to get in and, and give it a go. And I learned a hell of a lot of lessons on the way. A lot of them were pretty painful, but I'm glad that I did it. What are some key lessons that have sort of stuck with you from that experience? Um, I think so definitely around just validating more with your customers before you actually go out and do big significant things like sign large leases and, you know, I guess in other situations, people are spending a lot of money developing tech and, and developing products and things before you actually know that the customer wants them. You know, that was a rookie era. Number one, we had extremely uh, optimistic projections, you could say, about our membership base and the stages that we'd need to grow to to be able to make it sustainable. And it became quite apparent after even six months or so that we just weren't growing at the pace that we had anticipated. I had two co-founders and, you know, we're all still good friends now, but even just all of our perceptions going in, we thought that we had them clear with each other. But I really think if I went back and did it again, 
we really could have drilled down on that and clarified a lot more before, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, before we all got into bed together in business. So yeah, the lessons, you know, yeah, I think I could probably talk for talk for hours on, on the things that I learned there. But yeah, so grateful as a first business experience. I was lucky that it did it did work out pretty well in the end. I managed to sell the business at the beginning of the year. But yeah, it was a different, very different kind of journey than what I'd anticipated. Comes back to, you know, you, you think you know what it's going to look like and then when you get started and, and start to get, you know, a few months under your belt, how things can change and morph and evolve as you go Absolutely. along. Absolutely. And you've got to have, you know, good mentors around you. I was really lucky to have some some great mentors that supported me through that time and helped guide me. And, you know, thank God for them being there. Otherwise, I would have been completely and totally fussed. Yeah, that's actually something I want to, want to do a bit more questioning about. In terms of having a support network, often friends and family may not be your best resource to rely upon. So how, how have you managed to sort of make your own support network when when friends and family aren't, aren't there to um, to lend a hand? Yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes, so particularly in business, if your friends and family, if they're not in business, then I just think it's it's really hard for us to put the expectation on them to understand what we're going through as a business owner that is, is probably an unfair expectation in some ways. So I think that's why it's really important and vital to have another group of people, a tribe of people around you that can understand that. And I think it sort of comes back to defining roles and expectations within our relationships and I guess even for our romantic partner, it shouldn't be their responsibility to to completely keep us sane and happy and and deal with all of our problems. The same for any of our family members or and our co-founders and things like that. So the only way I think that I've been able to process it better is is getting better at identifying what my own emotional needs are at a particular point. And then it's almost experimentation. And I think we've all had that experience before where, you know, you've had a really terrible day, something's gone wrong, and then you've chosen to speak to, you've chosen to speak to somebody about it that's not necessarily as sympathetic to your position as what you would like. And I think you can, every time that situation happens, you can take it in and then you get to know the groups of people, the types of people that you can go to with certain types of problems or the situation that happens where you just want a sympathetic ear, you just want somebody to listen to what's happened, you're not necessarily looking for them to spit solutions back in your face. So identifying that within the beginning of the conversation too and and setting that tone. So, yeah, there's a lot to that support network and I've learned huge amounts about that in the last few years and and the the learning there is definitely not not even close to being over. It never will be. I like how you touched on, you know, often you'll need different support networks for different needs from where you're coming from so that you've got different people that you can go to when you've got different challenges that you're facing and you've got you know a certain person or a certain group you can go to either you know resolve an issue or or you know like you said just to be a listening ear just so you can get something off your chest yeah and the more that you're involved in those in the areas you know the more that you meet other business owners particularly you know if it's your very very first time in business if you're really new the, the more that you can get into those environments and go to events where you can meet other people that are, you know, first-time founders like you are or equally. For me, when I was going and doing these these crazy adventures and I'd go into the environments like rowing the ocean where I'd go and meet other people that have the same mentality as me, you start to find those groups of people in those places where you walk into them and you feel at home and you feel like they understand you and, and they get you. So I think, you know, if they don't feel like they've found their tribe of people yet, it's just a matter of you've got to just, you know, get out there, go to different events and just keep looking for them because if you're actively looking for them, then, you know, I'm a strong believer that they will sort of arrive into your life by some, you know, strange but strange coincidence but not really a coincidence at all. 
Yeah, it's funny how the world sort of helps you out when you take responsibility and take action towards it, not just expecting expecting something to, to land in your lap, but actually take the action and movement towards, you know, finding those core group of people you can, you know, hang out with that have a similar sort of growth mindset or, you know, entrepreneurial sort of tendencies. Yes, yeah, super important. I'm definitely a believer that, you know, you can, even if it sounds maybe a little quirky, but, you know, manifesting the future a little bit and, and helping to arrange those things to come into your life. How have you um, kept consistently showing up when you're physically depleted, either in a exercise sense or even, even just on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so I think it's coming back to being able to identify, you know, I guess in a short notice period, why did you undertake the activity in the beginning? Why did you embark on the journey? Why did you start the business? And, you know, you can even have, you can have a list of, of the things, you know, sometimes I think particularly in business when you get really caught up and, and you know, all this stuff's going wrong, it's easy to forget why you started. And so even just having, so I've got in the back of a, of a journal, I've got a, a win section. So just for when, for when some things go right or, you know, you can record it. If somebody gives you a compliment and, you know, just slowly day by day, make a point to record those positive things somewhere. And then so when you're having those really difficult moments, you can actually go back and refer to it and you can read that list and go like, hey, not everything's bad. It might seem like it's it's awful and terrible at the moment, but actually all these good things have happened and we've, we've been able to achieve this. You know, I think in a, in a business sense and in a day-to-day sense, that really helps my my mindset to be able to then reset. I also definitely use meditation as a tool as well. It's something that obviously people talk about it a lot. To be honest, I've really only started practicing it over the last couple of months, but it's made such a big difference, I think, to that consistency and being able to show up and maybe not letting my emotions get the best of me so much. Yeah, lots of different tools, but again, still searching and, and practicing stuff every single day like that. Yeah, it comes comes back down to having sort of experimenting what works and what doesn't and, and taking on new things and testing them out. I love that you've got yeah, a win section. different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sorry, yeah. I was going to say, I love that you've got a win section. I've, I've got a similar sort of thing. I've got, um, I think I use Evernote, but yeah, anytime there's positive feedback, I take a snippet and I leave it there. Yeah, it's a always a good resource. Super to, valuable. Mm. Super valuable. Because often, you know, it feels great in the moment, but sometimes you sort of forget it, especially when you're on those down days and you really question, you know, why you're here or, you know, why you started upon that journey. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I've only been doing it for, for a little while, but it's definitely a, an important tool, I think, to be able to use. Tell me a bit more about your uh, meditation practice. What does that look like for you and how have, has that evolved since you've started? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, I've experimented with different things. Like a friend had said to me, it was like Oprah and Deepak Chopra's, uh, there's a 21 day meditation challenge that I tried to do. I think I maybe got five or six days and then it, it lapsed. And then I think I found something else online and then I gave that a whirl and then I think it lapsed for a little bit. So it's definitely been a process over time of experimenting with different things. And then the particular track that I'm using at the moment is actually sort of a cross between uh, like a hypnosis and a meditation. Again, may sound a little quirky, but it's sort of got this really resonant music in the background, which I've found it's a 20 minute track. And I found it really helps me drop into it more than, you know, some of the meditation tracks, they've got some speaking and then there's, you know, blankness for a while. And I just find I'm just sitting in my usual brain. So for me, I think I needed something that was a little more heavily guided. And then the addition of that music made it, um, just made it a lot easier to actually be able to stay in that sort of state of mind. 
So certainly a lot of experimentation, that style works for me. I've then sent it out to other friends and then they haven't liked it so much. So yeah, everybody's different and it's unfortunate there's not a super easy shortcut way to be able to identify what works. No, it's sort of um, trial by fire, trying to figure out which, which um, what app or, you know, even if you're on a certain app, you know, which, which track or which um, audio track that best works for you. I think I've gone through three or four before finally landing on one um, and I sort yeah. of stuck with it for a while, but it's definitely... You sort of try it and then doesn't work, try something else and then slowly you, you sort of find your groove and you find what works. Yeah, and particularly so I remember when I was a physio as well, so we used to coach people on quitting smoking and so it was like every single time people would get really frustrated because every time they tried to quit smoking, you know, they'd be like, oh, but every time that I've relapsed, but then the research shows that, you know, every single time you try and quit smoking, you're more likely to, to succeed at doing it. And I actually believe it's exactly the same process with if you're trying to build a, build a habit for anything, that every single time, it doesn't matter how many times you've failed before, every single time you come back and you revisit the habit and you try again, you're more likely to succeed every single time. So yeah, even if you feel like it's, it's never, ever worked, always worth coming back and giving it another world because this might be the time that it, that it actually sort of sticks. So just constantly coming back to that. Yeah, it's slowly building that habit, even if you start and stop, you know, 100 times. That next yeah. one may, might be the one that just gels it all together. Exactly. Now, you've developed quite a strong emotional resilience over time. How do you continue to develop that going forward? So I think I'd say that I think I always have been a very emotional person. I would have said that I would probably even have reacted too emotionally perhaps in, in many situations. And I think I'm, I'm certainly someone that the emotions get the better of me sometimes. So it's just been... And a process, I think, in exposure to both, you know, the world of business and the world of adventure, that if you're constantly exposing yourself to those types of uncomfortable situations, uh, you get to know your own fingerprint of what, you know, I guess your own personal experience of uncomfortable feels like. So then when you get into another situation where you're uncomfortable and where you don't like it, even if that particular situation is uncomfortable and, and sorry, if it's unfamiliar, your own personal response in, in that uncomfortable situation, I think that can actually become familiar. So that's certainly been useful, just that, you know, exposure to uncomfortable situations and it's getting to know myself better. And then I think the more you expose yourself to those unknown situations, something that maybe five years ago would have been of enormous magnitude to me and it would have affected me heavily, I think now is, you know, only 5% of the effect of what it used to have because I've been exposed to such a breadth of other stuff since then. So, yeah, gradual exposure, I think, has a lot to be said for it, for that adaptation of, of you know, emotional resilience and things. For sure. And I guess that, that can apply to other areas in life as well. You know, starting a habit or anything really is just that exposure to just a little bit more than what you think you can take on right now can often sort of compound over time. Yeah, that's exactly how you build the muscle. You've just got to keep keep trying and, yeah, doing that little bit more. So. Again, no, no shortcuts. Hey? No, not at all. As much as um, as much as people try to promote that there is, we all look for them. Yeah, <laughs> but I think on reflection, I think it's it'd be shortchanging the process. Even if there was a hack, even if there was a way around it, you'd be you'd be doing yourself a disservice. It's like I guess winning the lottery and then losing it yeah. after you know three or four years after you've won it. You haven't developed the those micro habits that you know yeah, to be able to sustain, you. Absolutely. Mm. That's, I guess, a learning from me that I've found recently is just to, you know, go through the process and, and not to try and find shortcuts going forward. It's just, you know, take it day by day and start to build those habits gradually. Definitely. 
uh, a question I'd like to ask all guests on the podcast, and I'd love to get your perspective on it, is what's your definition of the grind? Oh, definition of the grind. Yeah, I like that question. So to me, the grind, actually, yeah, similar to what we were just talking about. I think it's just, it is showing up every day. And, you know, even if, if you don't feel like it and you don't want to, or you don't think that you can succeed or you can't figure out a way through, it's just showing up and it's, you know, you're sitting down at your desk or it's sitting down on the rowing seat or on the bike or whatever. And it's just giving it another go in that particular moment and seeing what you can pull out. So yeah, I think the grind to me, it's just, it's, it's literally just showing up and it's giving your best that you can and, and seeing what happens. Love it. Love it. Take it day by day <laughs> and just, just give it a go and give it a crack. That's right. Where can people find more about you? Yeah, so you can find more about me on Instagram. So I'm Eleanor J. Carey. I've just finished doing a, a 62-day recap of the row because it was the one-year anniversary. And so there's sort of different some diary entries in there and some videos that have never seen the light of day before that's been a bit confronting to put up. And um, excitingly, we also just released our documentary on YouTube. So that's called Why Row and Ocean. So yeah, if you search from that, you can watch our full 30-minute documentary about the row. Yeah, if anyone's interested in more of the uh, the crazy adventuring side of things. Good question. Uh, I know I said that was the last question, but did you ever think you'd make your own documentary when you were watching the ones on YouTube before your adventure? Absolutely not. It just is beyond my wildest dreams, many of the things I think that have happened in the last couple of years. So it just goes to show that you can never, ever know or predict what happens when you just keep doing that stuff and, and take it one day at a time and just keep showing up. Wonderful. Eleanor, thank, thanks again so much for coming on on the podcast. Really appreciated uh, the time and you know showing people that just because you, I guess just w- what the human body is capable of going forward. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome to talk to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Stories Behind the Grind. Please share the podcast. And if you're not already subscribed, be sure to do that right now. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could do me a quick favor and rate and review the podcast. This lets the platform know that I'm doing something right and people like the content. It'd be a huge help and I'd be really, really grateful if you could. Until next time.